You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, we'll get a sociologist's take on how San Francisco could handle the coronavirus pandemic with respect to its homeless population. Most people, he said, you know, thought this virus was uh, not serious. You know, they're not tied into the media that we have been so accultured to. And I was just stunned by this and talked to more people in shelter and no one was taking it seriously yet until about a week later and when staff started wearing masks and they started seeing more hand sanitizing station and yet no, none of their beds have been moved and then, then there started to be growing some fear. I'm Laura Wenis and this is Civic. As of Monday, April 6th, Three people in San Francisco's shelter system had tested positive for coronavirus, one of them at a navigation center at Division Circle, and two residents of the multi-services center South, known as MSC South. By the time you hear this, that number will likely have increased. Mayor London Breed announced on Monday that 19 people who'd been moved to an emergency shelter at Moscone Center to thin out the general shelter population for social distancing requirements had previously had contact with the people who tested positive at MSC South. Advocates for the homeless have made repeated pleas and demands that all homeless people be moved into the city's empty hotel rooms. City officials have said that this would not be a financially prudent move and that hotel rooms should be reserved, among the homeless population, for those with underlying conditions or who are elderly and particularly at risk. Chris Herring is one of the people who has been calling for homeless people to be moved into hotel rooms, but he's also been keeping a close eye on how the pandemic is impacting people without shelter in general. He's a sociologist at the University of California, Berkeley, finishing up his Ph.D., He's been researching homelessness and the governance of homelessness in San Francisco and other cities across California for the past decade. A quick note about the timing of this interview before we start. When we spoke, there'd been just one confirmed case at the Navigation Center. Since then, more cases have been confirmed in the shelter system, and city officials have made additional statements on the use of hotel rooms. So just keep that in mind. Here's what I talked about with Chris Herring. So there are a couple of things that you have been in the news for recently and that you've been writing about um, and that, you know, the public press has quoted you on recently. But I want to start a little bit more generally by asking how your observations of the coronavirus outbreak are informing your research right now. Yeah, emergencies and times of crisis really bring to light a lot of the underlying structural issues that we sometimes don't typically see. And also exposes new possibilities of uh, ways of handling homelessness that I never thought I would see. Um, So the first uh, revelation that I think everyone's coming to grips with is uh, the public health dimension of homelessness. And uh, this shows in a number of ways. For instance, the virus doesn't have any sort of class boundaries and is spread Uh, amongst all of us. So now that we have folks who are remaining on the streets um, and are unable to access sanitation like the rest of us, and those who are in congregate shelters who are unable to do the social distancing that we're all doing now, creates a real risk of viral spread that will, uh, you know, spread throughout the general public and also create a strain on our hospital system Uh, down the line if it's not dealt with. And so now we're seeing how this neglect of housing is going to really come back and and, and create weaknesses and 
us all being resilient towards this crisis we're facing. And then on the other end is the way in which we treat homeless folks as a city in normal times. Many of the things we do is not best for their own health. So for instance, the city has been aggressively taking down people's tents and policing homelessness for decades now. And we just had the CDC release guidelines instructing cities uh, that this is not a good public health practice, that it puts homeless folks at risk of not just coronavirus, but a number of uh, illnesses, as uh, public health officials have long said. But now city officials are, st are starting to follow this. Um, and similarly, in shelters, which have always been uh, unsanitary places and incubations for disease. We're starting to see reforms in these shelters of spacing people out, you know, providing uh, thermometers and basic medical care in these facilities. And so this also raises the point that, you know, there are going to be improvements after this crisis that we can hopefully extend. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit about the particular vulnerability of people who live unsheltered. You referred to a study um, released by some of your colleagues, which projects that people who are homeless who contract COVID-19 are twice as likely to be hospitalized, hospitalized, sorry, two to four times as likely to require critical care and two to three times as likely to die than the general population. Can you talk a little bit about why that is? Yeah, uh, this all extends from the fact that those living on the streets or in shelters for any ex extended period of time uh, tend to have face more health risks and disabilities than the general population. That's part of the reason why they're sometimes unable to find work or uh, maintain housing to begin with. Um, but then there's also the compounding factor that being out on the streets or in the shelter, it's very hard to take care of yourself and to receive medical care. And so uh, what this means is that the, the, there's a very unhealthy um, uh, situation to be in to begin with. And this really creates uh, compounding risks uh, when heading into a pandemic like this. Those were projections that were coming from professors at University of Pennsylvania and UCLA, but was also based off of the research done right here in San Francisco by Margot Kushal, who is um, leading the Binioth initiative on this. And he's found that uh, those who are on the street or in shelters um, have a much lower life expectancy than similarly aged people and present 15 years uh, older than the general population. And so as we're hearing with the coronavirus, uh, that those especially 65 years and older are at risk, you know, with the homeless population, uh, this is really going to be more like those 50 years older and above are at risk. Um, and that's just with their underlying health conditions. The second aspect of this that I think is important to discuss is the resistance that many folks who are unhoused have against seeking medical attention, especially those on the streets who are used to having to protect their property. And so when I was doing field work in San Francisco, I spent a number of weeks living out on the streets alongside folks to understand how it is they were surviving. And one thing I saw time and time again both staying on the streets and also in my field work going along with public health workers, were folks who should have been seeking medical attention, of going to an appointment at a public health clinic and sometimes even hospitalization, who refused to go because they were afraid that if they went into the hospital, that their belongings would be taken or destroyed. 
and that they'd have no place to put them. So as we can imagine in this situation with COVID-19, where even if you have mild symptoms, you could be a carrier of this, there's huge incentives uh, for folks not to go and seek medical attention. And even though the city is changing these policies now and doing less sweeps, even with the situation, there's a long history of folks uh, having this fear and not trusting officials. And without that trust that uh, isn't established, uh, I'm seriously concerned of those who are remaining on the streets will not seek medical attention, even when they might uh, have the virus. Yeah, I mean, that is a factor in this conversation. Regardless of what the CDC guidelines are, there have still been data show that there have still been cases of um, city workers taking people's belongings. So it's not as if that fear of people's belongings being confiscated or thrown away are unfounded, right? This is this is a reality for people who live on the street. Very much a reality. So from my own experience, when I was along with uh, folks on the street, oftentimes, especially if a person wasn't uh, there at their tent uh, for whatever reason, whether it was going to the bathroom or a lot of folks, you know, have uh, informal jobs during the day, even if we were watching over a person's tent and there was a street cleaning, the, the property would be confiscated. We would be told that we couldn't uh, protect the property. And then the other factor was that when we were being told to move, we were also limited in the amount of things we could move. And then third, there was always the threat of arrest that could be placed on us, um, especially for those who had outstanding warrants. Many of those warrants, simply from the fact that they hadn't paid tickets, that they couldn't reasonably pay because they didn't have the money. This was widespread in my experiences of my ethnographic research, and then was also confirmed in a series of community-based surveys that I worked on with uh, professors at San Francisco State and the University of San Francisco and other institutions. And in 2014, uh, we surveyed 300 homeless folks, and 47% reported that their belongings had been taken or destroyed by city officials. Uh, we did another needs assessment study just this past year, this summer in 2019. And again, we found the exact same percentage, which, you know, there's, of course, should be very Asian. But, you know, in the, the 600 folks we surveyed, 47 percent reported having their belongings confiscated or taken by city officials. In the uh, a survey we took in 2015 and asked 2014 and asked these questions, uh, we found that 70 percent of all homeless folks, even though staying in the shelters, had been asked to move along and 69% had been given a citation, at least one citation in the past year. 20% had received five or more in the past year. So the citations and move alongs are quite frequent. Now there's also guidance from the city that people who are on the streets and who are not entering a congregate shelter setting, that they should sleep one to a tent and place their tents six feet apart from one another to comply with social distancing and to prevent the potential spread of coronavirus. Just curious what your take is on that and and how easy that is or how possible it is to, for people who are living unsheltered to actually implement that. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. And I think there are some good things about the CDC guidelines instructing cities, such as telling them not to take tents. 
I think what that should lead us to recognize is that it's good to have tents and that the city should be providing everyone who is on the streets and not able to access individual uh, housing units uh, should have a tent and cities should be providing these tents. I think it's also worth noting that the CDC guidelines said that cities should not remove tents as long as there's not individual housing units available. So they're not saying, you know, if there's shelter available, then the city can do this because the CDC has also recognized dangers of the shelter. We know tents provide shelter and reduce the health risks in general times and especially in this pandemic. Physical distancing really is important for all of us at this time, and uh, that's for the unhoused and housed alike. The idea of spacing uh, tents six feet apart, I don't know how much science that is relying on. If you're inside your tent, uh, you do have this membrane of fa uh, you know fabric that's going to protect uh, the spread of disease. And also, I find it ironic that the CDC has said that it's okay in shelters to have beds three feet apart, although ideally six feet apart, but are saying that tents should be six feet apart. So I think what we're seeing here is the CDC itself and the folks writing these guidelines are, you know, working on the fly with some uh, uh, flexible, uh, you know, rules of thumb here. I think, though, that it is important that uh, the, the, the tents be, you know, spaced out so that there can be cleaning done around them and we can, you know, sanitize these areas and hopefully cooperatively work uh, with houseless folks to keep this uh, areas orderly and clean for um, everyone and especially them. The city has said they only want uh, five or six tents to a block, and I think that is a concern of just the backlash that might arise if we have clustering in uh, you know specific areas. However, I think the more important point that uh, we need to be looking at right now is why are we having folks staying on the streets and not in say uh, public spaces such as parks um, or especially in like say these uh, soccer fields or basketball courts that have been closed down for recreation where we don't have to have people living just outside of people's front yards. I've talked to a lot of people who would prefer to be in the parks, but uh, the parks department seems to be very much against us. The other thing I think that is critically important is how are we going to provide sanitation to folks? Uh, we just had here in San Francisco, Matt Haney uh, passing a resolution so that we have a hand washing station for every 50 people following basic UN guidelines that we have in many developing countries um, and also porta potties. And we're going to also have to think about food delivery um, and providing food distribution centers outside if we're not getting people into hotels or individual housing units like we need to. And in those cases, I am really concerned of what it means to be pushing a policy uh, where you're just dispersing everyone. I think we should be thinking about opening up safe, organized spaces, especially in our parks where people can go if they choose, um, while also not um, you know, restricting folks from being uh, in other spaces if they need to be there for other reasons based on uh, their social networks or needs or the ways in which they're getting resources. We'll get back to this conversation with sociologist Chris Herring in just a moment. You've been listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. KSFP and the San Francisco Public Press are supported by listeners like you. 
Learn more about our membership program and join the public press at sfpublicpress.org slash donate. You can make a donation online or send a check to the San Francisco Public Press, 44 Page Street, Suite 504, San Francisco, California, 94102. Thank you, and thanks to the hundreds of other Public Press members who have made our work possible for 10 years. Let's hear more from Chris Herring, a sociologist and PhD candidate at UC Berkeley, about how San Francisco is working to manage the coronavirus pandemic as it reaches the homeless population. It seems to me like there is just sort of a clash between CDC guidelines and really best practices, no matter how widely accepted they are. You know, you want everybody to be able to isolate themselves if they need to and to keep their distance from others. But we don't have the housing available for people who are living on the street, evidently because they're living on the street. You want people to be able to have, you know, their tent and their area be clean. But unfortunately, that's not the reality for some people who don't even have a tent. You you know, we want to be able to have six feet of distance between beds in shelters. But because the shelters are full and the city is working hard to sort of reduce the number of people who are staying in shelters and, and spread them into other spaces that can be used temporarily, it it just seems like we're at a point where we are trying, but we cannot meet the recommendations of the CDC. We're, we're somehow not able to do what we could be doing or should be doing to prevent the spread. Yeah, I mean, the, you bring up a point about the shelter, which we haven't talked a lot about yet, uh, which was uh, is incredibly concerning to me. Um, once I got settled into my nice little cottage in the Berkeley Hills near Tilden Park and got ready to quarantine, I um, I finally called some of my research companions who are in San Francisco shelters. And I asked them, you know, what is it like there? What's changed? And they say, you know, what do you mean what's changed? No, it, it, it's the same. And this was a guy in MSC South uh, on a floor with 200 people. Uh, he was sleeping on the bottom bunk with a guy on top of him and another uh, person in a bed two feet away from him. Um, none of the staff were wearing masks. They had received no information yet on uh, the virus. Uh, you know, I told them, are, are, are people being told to wash their hands and touch their face, not touch their face? He's like, wait, what do you mean don't touch your face? And most people, he said, you know, thought this virus was uh, not serious. You know, they're not tied into the media that we've been so accultured to. And so after reengineering my entire life, I was just stunned by this and talked to more people in shelter and no one was taking it seriously yet until about a week later. And when staff started wearing masks and they started seeing more hand sanitizing station and yet no, none of their beds had been moved. And um, then then there started to be growing some fear. The shelters, yes, could be serious incubation. And I think the CDC came out with guidelines to push people to do better, but it was uh, in the when you read it, it is saying this is how we can do better, not that this is ideal. And I think uh, this brings us to a point of which uh, I've been pushing very strongly is that, you know, the choice between the shelter and the street um, is a very bad one. Both have unique dangers of pandemic spread. And uh, if you want to talk more about the trade-offs there, I'm happy to. But if these trade-offs can be avoided through getting people into the vacant hotels, which we have and many other cities have a huge surplus of surpassing the homeless populations in their cities on the magnitudes of double and triple uh, and more, 
um, or you know vacant apartments, then we don't have to make uh, this uh, debate between two very dangerous situations of the street and the shelter. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up because I do absolutely want to talk about hotel rooms. You co-wrote an opinion piece in The Examiner recently that said, in part, the plan in San Francisco is to lease up to 4,500 rooms so that medical workers who may be infected don't have to return home and risk exposing their families, so that those residing in the streets, in shelters and in SROs with shared bathrooms, have a place to self-quarantine. And that also follows Governor Gavin Newsom's goals of trying to provide tens of thousands of hotel rooms for people who are living on the street. But at least at the time, and maybe you can say whether this is still the case or not, those who haven't tested positive for COVID-19 are not being sent to hotel rooms. What will the effect of that be? And it sounds like you're advocating for people to be housed in hotel rooms, whether or not they've been tested. Yes, I'm I'm taking my lead from the public health experts and officials that we're all hearing that we all need to be self-quarantined in our own spaces and be able to practice physical distancing and um, to do this preventively. Uh, you know, in my 10 years of studying homelessness, I can think of no other uh, policy field in city government that is more reactive uh, than homelessness except perhaps emergency response, which is inherently reactive. You don't move into response until you have the wildfire or the flood. But with homelessness, it's always only when someone dies that then the reforms happen within the shelter or on the street. And this is what we're seeing here with COVID-19 again. It's we're waiting for folks to uh, become sick, and then we're going to create a, a path so that um, they can recover if they're able to recover um, somewhere quarantined. Um, so yes, as you reported, this is still um, largely uh, the government's response. The idea is that uh, if you test positive or, and you've been hospitalized, we know we're going to need to free up hospital beds so they don't get clogged up. Um, we're going to then put you in a hotel because what would the other option look like? You can already imagine the headline. San Francisco has homeless person tests positive and releases them back onto the street, you know, or back into the shelter, infects everyone. And so to me, it is very much operating from this space of liability um, rather than a space of proactive care and meeting homeless people's needs. Um, I'm at least glad to report that in concept, San Francisco has now said that they will uh, place uh, vulnerable people in shelters and on the street who are over 60 into hotel rooms before they um, are infected. However, um, you know, we haven't seen this happen yet. We don't know exactly where they are in the priority list, but it, it, I'm, I'm very excited that there are a group of five progressive uh, supervisors who are pushing uh, to keep uh, expanding that so this can be more proactive. Um, but yeah, the proactive form would be let's move some of these shelters in mass into hotels. So we've got about 3,000 people in shelters. Let's just move those folks into hotels. We can even bring the shelter staff into these hotels as well. Um, and that should be to be able to be done um, pretty easily. I can talk more about the specifics of the ways we can do that, um, but that should be an easy move. And then after that, yeah, working with those on the street who are able and willing to come into hotels. This is not gonna be for everyone. 
um, but it is going to be an option that is appropriate and uh, many people will want to take up. And as we know from public health officials, uh, it, it's, it's, it's safer for the individual and safer for the community to have people quarantining inside in their own place um, where they don't have to be um, uh, in congregate settings or in situations where they're having to go out to get their food for survival and other means. Let me break in here to give you the latest on the city's position on congregate shelter settings and hotel rooms as of April 6th. Abigail Stewart-Kahn, the interim director of the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, has said that the plan for hotel rooms is to prioritize people who are in hospitals but who don't need that level of care, as well as moving people out of congregate settings. Finally, among unsheltered people, those who are particularly vulnerable to the disease will be prioritized. She said people who are currently being housed at Moscone West, who are moved there as part of an effort to thin the shelter population, have been relocated to hotel rooms operated by the Human Services Agency and staffed by the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. The Board of Supervisors is expected to introduce an emergency ordinance on Tuesday that would require the city to make available at least a thousand hotel rooms for people who are being housed in shelters right now. That number would rise to 14,000 rooms by April 28th under the ordinance, but that first has to be approved by the board and is likely to be opposed by the mayor, whose office has generally spoken against housing non-vulnerable homeless people in hotels. So do you have a sense of what the process was, would look like of moving, as you say, an entire encampment, an entire community into a hotel and, and how to make sure that those people are getting the services that they need? So, yeah, first off, to begin with the shelter. By definition, to be in a shelter, you have to be able to self-care. Um, and so you could move everyone into the shelter, into hotels um, without a problem. Now, I, I, will, I will say that there are exceptions to this. Uh, shelters realize uh, that they don't want to put people out on the streets and sometimes bend these rules. But at least 95% of people in, who I saw in the shelter uh, could be in hotels without any more staffing or supervision to, beyond that of which is currently in the shelter or could be provided, you know, you'll need janitorial services and all this, all the hotel workers are out of work and the union is in support of this. Hiring these folks back should not be an issue. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, you know, 3000 people who could be moved in right away. There are supports in the shelters, like visiting nurses and social workers. I will tell you that more than half of the folks in the shelter today do not use any of those services nor rely on any staffing except that, you know, when there's a, a breakout of some fight, um, which were, you know, uh, occurred. I mean, I would say that there would, there, would, there would be a fight occur or someone would need medical attention um, about every other day in the shelter. Mm -hmm. I stayed in the shelter uh, over 90 nights there. Uh, so this is common. You will need that. Um, but first of all, most of the <laughs> interactions that resulted in uh, verbal or physical um, altercations were always due to the congregate setting of living on right. top of each other. They, you know, right. that, and then when you put folks into the supportive housing units, uh, you know, a lot of that dissipates. So, um, no, the, 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 this, the, there's not a, a high need. High, there's not a higher need for staffing. If anything, there's a lesser need for staffing. Uh, in hotels than the current situation on the shelter. Hmm. Um, now, uh, moving those uh, in from the streets into hotels, um, this is a concern and uh, we'll, we'll need to have some uh, staffing uh, around it for certain people. Um, again, uh, not everyone 
Uh, I think it's important for your viewers to know that 36% of homeless San Franciscans uh, were housed just a few months ago or within the year. Uh, they were in their own homes, paying their bills, taking care of themselves. 31% of them have been are homeless for the first time uh, right now. And, um, you know, over 50% uh, have been housed in the last three years. So I know that a lot of folks uh, have the strong image of, you know, those who are most visible and, um, uh, you know, sometimes aggressive and, you know, have serious mental health and substance use issues. And yes, that th those folks um, will have challenges being moved inside um, if they want to. Uh, they very well may, may not need to. But, you know, we at least have could easily move a 4,000 people plus in no problem at all. Uh, and then with the others, we're going to have to work on this. But let me say this. We're going to run into problems in the shelter with staffing as well. I'm already hearing that 50% of the staff at certain shelters are already out sick or are not coming to work because they're afraid. Um, we have to remember that the folks on the street are already receiving no services. Over 90% of them have no contact with hot team members. Um, so, at, you know, yes, it's going to be a challenge, but it's also an opportunity to provide people uh, you know, some staffing and help that they weren't getting in the shelter and weren't getting on the streets. Um, and yes, there are going to be, especially the vulnerable who are above 65, who are struggling with physical disabilities, um, they, we are going to have to staff up the Department of Public Health. But, um, you know, like, as I'm saying, there's a large group, especially of younger homeless folks, um, who can be moved in right away, even though they're not a priority, but they should be. Because if you're able to move the younger folks out of the shelters or out of the streets, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but as we know from public health experts and scientists, this is going to lower the viral spread and risk to the older folks who might need to stay in those congregate settings or on the streets longer until we get the staffing in place. Yeah. I wonder if you are hearing any concerns or anticipate any concerns about how the city will manage the situation if folks are in fact moved into hotel rooms after social distancing ends or the shelter in place orders end. I mean, it, it sort of raises the question to me, will people be given an opportunity to stay if they are housed for the first time in a long time? I think that's a great question, and we all need to be thinking about uh, the lessons and possibilities that this uh, crisis uh, brings to those of us who have been working to uh, uh, move towards a model of housing for all and ending homelessness. Um, at this moment, I am most concerned with saving lives of those who are on the streets and those who uh, among us are going to be faced with hospitalization with limited ventilators and uh, ICU units and hospital beds when we have a, a, a surplus 30,000 hotel rooms in a city of 8,000 homeless folks we have no limitations there I would hate to see these life or death decisions being made of who's getting care in our hospitals uh, being made because we didn't utilize the surplus of housing in this critical moment. So first, let's make sure people are alive so we can talk about these longer term solutions. But yes, if we're putting people into hotels, especially if they're tourist hotels, these are going to be short term. And uh, many people are going to uh, then be let, uh, you know, let out after the, then. Um, you know, and we've got to think about this. And I think this is an opportunity to think about also, 
you know, the expansion of congregate shelters in the cases where we can't get people into housing. Once people uh, have the virus, um, the, it seems the strong indications that uh, they're immunity and very less likely to catch it after. And so while we've seen a lot of resistance to shelters, like on the Embarcadero, um, we should recognize that as the pandemic moves on, we may need more of these spaces. Um, and, you know, as for housing, uh, yes, we should learn, take a lesson from this, that if we were able to uh, provide better and more housing for those of us who are unhoused in this moment of crisis, none of this emergency reactions would be necessary. This is not, this has not been a serious issue uh, for most other foreign countries to the scale uh, that it has been uh, for us of those in the developed industrialized world. Um, and I'm hoping that coming out of this along with the movements we're seeing around um, uh, the, the discussion of rent cancellations and uh, eviction moratoriums, uh, that we can recognize that housing is health care and that we can have a world with much more accessible and affordable housing. Chris, thank you so much for your time and for talking with me. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That was Chris Herring, a sociologist and PhD candidate at UC Berkeley. I'm Laura Wenis, and you've been listening to Civic, 